today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. The last 15 meters, I kind of just put my head down. I don't know how many strokes I took without breathing, but I knew that was something I wanted to work on from prelims and semis. So I'm glad I did that. Um, and I think that definitely helped me get to the wall as fast as I could. Maggie McNeil, gold medalist for Canada, talking about her finish in Tokyo. Yeah, the Olympics are on in full flight right now. Scott Radley in for Scott Thompson on the Scott Thompson Show this week. We are now well into the Olympics. Things are uh, things are firing on all cylinders, at least the, the games are. Some of the um, Canadian teams and athletes doing exceptionally well. Again, just heard a gold medalist there. Uh, Canada's women's basketball team with Kean Nurse and Lisa Tomitis, the head coach from this area. A rough start this morning. Lost to Serbia. Um you know, it's a big bag, but this is what you get in the Olympics. There's no guarantees for all of the underdog, unexpected gold medalists like Maggie, who we just heard. You have teams and athletes who are expected to do really well. And you know what? We're not the only country that gets to have underdogs. Sometimes if we're the overdog, the favorite, those Olympic stories require our teams to lose as well. So that's what the Olympics are all about. That's what makes... In a lot of ways, that's what makes the Olympics so compelling for so many people. You've got these events. Well, first of all, the nationalism is is what drives a lot of people. We love to see Canadian athletes do well, but you've got these events we don't necessarily always watch all the time. We don't really know much about them. And we either find them really compelling or just the opportunity to watch a young Canadian person do something amazing. And not necessarily just young. Did you happen to see on the weekend... There was a gymnast from, I think it was Uzbekistan, who was competing in her eighth Olympics. She's 46 years old, a gymnast. There are gymnasts at the games who are like 14 years old. She was 46 years old. Her son, I think they said, is older than every other gymnast in the competition. Who she's competing against is younger than her child. Anyway, she didn't qualify, but what a what an amazing story. She'd won a gold medal, I think, in 1992, and this is her eighth time as a gymnast. That's, that's, that's remarkable. Anyway, on with the Olympics. We can be very, very excited about what's happening. We can be very interested. We can be upbeat about it, or maybe not. There are some concerns at this point early on in the games that um, – well, from especially from the business and sponsorship side of things, that this is not necessarily shaping up at this point to be a winner of an Olympics. I was going to say a gold medal, but that would be too cliche and too easy. A winner of an Olympics. I want to bring in Mike Narain. He is a Brock University professor uh, in the sports management department, specializes in digital sports management and marketing, um, looking at all kinds of things to do with the business of sports. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing well, Scott. It's a pleasure to talk with you again. Well, really appreciate you coming on. And look, uh, there are things that we can be very, very, very excited about with the Olympics. Um, the fact that there's sports on TV day in and day out, all day long, turn it on. The fact that Canadians are starting to do well. Here's the flip side, though, uh, and I, I, I hate to be the downer. Um, the ratings are in, the early ratings. Now, we only have the American ratings right now, but the early days of the Olympics in the States, they are down 36% TV ratings, according to the Wall Street Journal. Is this problematic or is this just a blip and that will change once we get going and everyone sort of catches the Olympic spirit? No, no, it is problematic, Scott. And I actually do have the Canadian numbers for you if, if you'd like some breaking news. Please, yes. The, the, the opening ceremony um, was down on CBC, which is obviously our national broadcaster, 
76% from the Rio numbers. So uh, in Rio, again, granted, Rio is, is in a bit much better time zone relative to the uh, Canadian Eastern population. Uh, for Rio, we had 2.35 million Canadians watch live. Um, for Tokyo, we had 565,000. So, you, you know, across the board, during this COVID period, we've seen the sports property uh, audiences be on a decline uh, with a little bit of uptick lately for things like baseball and basketball, but still, you know, year over year uh, and certainly over a pre-COVID environment, audience numbers on television have been down. But when you think about everything in totality, this is a a much larger trend of uh, younger consumers, uh, cord cutters, as well as the proposition of the Olympic movement. Now, I, I will preface, Scott, by saying, you know, I love the Olympic Games. You know, when, when you go to an Olympic Games uh, and you're there for the two-week party, and I've had the opportunity to be in the village, you, you, you definitely drink the Kool-Aid. I mean, you love it, you breathe it, you can see the enjoyment and the spectacle. The problem is, this is emblematic of, of the COVID Games, of what we're going to call this, um, here in Tokyo, where you don't have the same enjoyment on the ground it's almost like this dystopian zombie-like apocalypse where, you know, the athletes aren't really mingling amongst one another. You're going to the event, you're coming back, you're staying in your rooms. You don't get that sort of cultural exchange that you would normally, that you normally would, that social exchange. And then on top of that, for the consumer at home, you're thinking, well, you know what, it's in a different time zone it's, you know, there's COVID. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to work next week. If, if you know, my, you know, who, who knows is going to get sick. I have to be careful of the precautions. And while we are starting to get a little bit better here in Southern Ontario and even Canada, just generally speaking, the fact that when you take all of those factors combined, Scott, you end up in this sort of malaise of, is the Olympic proposition that important to me right now? And the answer for most Canadians, unfortunately, is no. Which is sort of surprising, if only because the Olympics for decades now, uh, at least since the Los Angeles Games uh, back in the 80s, they've been Teflon. It doesn't matter what happens, they've been Teflon. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know what, I, I do also want to preface by saying, you know, Canada is in a very interesting position where, you know, we're obviously not going to win these games. We're, we're, you know, slated to win, you know, 21 medals. I think that's the over-under. And I would probably put it, to be honest, right now at the over, um, there's a really good chance that we could, you know, aim for 22, 23 medals. And our our women athletes are doing fantastic. Summer McIntosh, 14 years old, in, in four years and eight years from now, is going to be on the top of the podium. Uh, you know, Penny Alexiak, Maggie McNeil, as you, you had off the top. We've got some amazing athletes, especially in the pool, especially on the women's side of the draw. The issue is, you know, when you when you think about the Olympic proposition, it, you know, for a long period of time, it was television and it was stuck in some of these traditional type sports. And as, you know, sports fans get younger, as they get more mobile, as they get more, um, we'll just call them digitally enhanced, different types of sports are and different types of activities, for that matter, are uh, of a higher value proposition to those younger consumers, whether we're talking about things like esports whether we're talking about some of these newer sports. And that's one of the reasons why the Olympic movement has brought in sporting uh, propositions like breakdancing or, you know, surfing or skateboarding, which we're now seeing at these games. So, you know, going forward, 
you know, will the Olympics remain the Teflons on? Perhaps. Um, you know, I think it's going to be more difficult as things progress, as television and linear uh, viewership starts to decline even further. But, you know, I, I think it is tough for this particular game's uh, when we think about television audiences and, and the changing consumer demographic, as well as, you know, sponsors saying, well, listen, I'm not getting the bang on uh, for my buck anymore. The return on investment might not actually be what you think it is uh, and say it is Olympic movement. So, you know, for these next set of games in Paris and L.A. and Milan and Brisbane, you know, whether or not the, the dollars will be there in this highly competitive sports space, very tough to say and, and, and forecast. Really, really interesting to you mentioned. So I saw a few minutes of the skateboarding competition yesterday and uh, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. I was entirely underwhelmed. It looked like, honestly, it looked to me like we were at the local skateboard park with a lot of the stuff that was being done, landing more than the kids at the local skateboard park do. But uh, nonetheless, I'm looking going, okay, this is clearly a move to get the younger audience to stick around. And yet, as you said, many of them are already long gone from broadcast television so are they to use the old phrase are they trying to close the gate after the horses have already bolted the paddock Uh, a little bit there there is a little bit of a reactive piece and and part of the problem scott is that there's still this internal battle in the olympic movement of the old guard versus the new guard um you know i can take you back a few years and i had a conversation with the vice president uh of the uh the ioc who you know straight up told me to my face that she still didn't get this idea of digital sports and esports, and, and and that's part of this problem is the the Olympic movement still doesn't know what it wants to do on that frontier, and it's trying to play catch up to uh, a place where now we're in 2021 and we're talking about things like drone racing and and esports, and for a lot of people that's not sport, but for a lot of other new, uh, younger people that is sport, and so to bring in some of these uh, you know events that you know maybe. 20 years ago, you know, they were the hip, edgy, subcultural sports like skateboarding and X Games things, you know, big air and snowboard. You know, these were the types of things that we never thought would ever be Olympic events. And now that they are, you know, don't be surprised in, you know, 10, 20 years from now to see the Olympic movement really try to, you know, revolutionize its brand to be younger and to skew to the audiences that sponsors and broadcasters also want to connect with. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't watch the skateboarding events as much as I watched uh, the pool events. You know, I, I think Swim, Swim Canada should be absolutely thrilled with how the women are, are performing. You know, swimming in this country has never been a major proposition. You know, we, we never thought we would, were the best country in the world when it came to competitive swimming. Now, I think we can definitely say we're in the top five countries in the world and when it comes to competitive swimming. And, and that took a long time to get there. But for these newer sports, it's still also going to take some time for us to really think about that in terms of do we invest into some of these younger, newer sports or do we continue to double down on some of these aging disciplines? You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I suppose that some of the people in broadcasting and the Olympics have figured it out because I, I noticed on Amazon Prime on the, not the, the buying thing, on the online, the video channel, uh, CBC's Olympic sports are available there to stream. So they're, they're trying to find ways to find the eyeballs of younger viewers who may not be on regular cable TV. I, we'll see what sort of numbers, if they offer any, were there. Any of the you know younger, and I assume it's younger people, but any of the younger people who are finding other ways, we'll we'll see, I guess, in time whether that worked. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Scott. And if you'll indulge me for like the last minute here, I, I think this is part of the problem as well. Uh, you know, gr- granted, COVID has thrown a wrench into a lot of these sport programming uh, uh, plans. But, you know, a lot of the non-sport people I've spoken with over this past couple of days, they've mentioned how difficult it's been for them to access uh, Olympics, uh, the, the Olympic coverage in this country, specifically from a, wh- who is competing when and how that is being promoted. And so while, uh, you know, broadcasters like CBC, and again, I, I love our, our public broadcaster, um, and, and while, you know, sport marketers are thinking about, okay, well, we, we, these are the top athletes and these are the things and we need to get on Amazon Prime and, and, and some of these touch points, the overall proposition hasn't been made clear to Canadians. And so, you know, knowing that it's in a different country in a, in a far different time zone, uh, knowing that you're going to have some of these challenges, I don't think that there was enough planning put into place to really sell this idea of Canada is competing and we're going to win. And here's who you need to be watching as much as it could have been, Scott. And so it's really a travesty mm. that we're, we're seeing, you know, individuals like a Maggie McNeil win a gold medal. We're going to see Summer McIntosh, you know, compete for a medal. Uh, and Kylie Massey from LaSalle, Ontario tonight, perhaps winning a gold medal for the backstroke. We're going to see some of these amazing things, but some Canadians are going to get left out because they weren't promoted to enough on the channels that they would like to live on, whether it's mobile or social. It's an interesting one because if you do flip through your guide and you start going through, you'll see, let's say you got the CBC on the guide and it just says Tokyo Olympics and you go to the TSN five or six channel bulk and it just says Olympics and then Sportsnet's bulk and it just says Olympics. And, you know, I don't know how those guides, I don't know if they're adjustable enough. But boy, it, you're right. It would be way helpful, way more helpful if you could be looking through the guide and it says, you know, swimming, judo, whatever, as opposed to just flipping aimlessly, trying to find something that interests you and then learning, oh, I missed that on that other channel. I mean, uh, if you're going to try to get people to watch, I, I agree with you. The, you should try to make it as easy as possible to make sure the eyeballs can find what they want to find. 100%, Scott. We, we are now in the era of digital transparency, uh, you know, where the consumer is looking for information. You know, this, this is where you want to activate some of those micro-influencers. If, if you look at the CBC's uh, broadcast, again, yeah, exactly what you've mentioned. But at the same time, you've got a great sports journalist like Devin Aru, who's, who's live tweeting uh, from, from, from Tokyo his, his movements, his whereabouts, you know, what he's eating at 7-Eleven. And that's the type of thing that younger consumers like to see. They want to feel more a part of the party. And in this day and age, the, the closer you can bring the consumer to the party, the better off you will be in terms of selling the story over a two-week period. And, and again, and this is not just a CBC problem. It's definitely an NBC problem in the United States as well. Uh, I've spoken to my colleagues down south, and they've mentioned much of the same, that these linear television broadcasters have still not yet figured out the right way to go about connecting with younger audiences. We've talked about millennials. We've talked about post-millennials as sort of this buzzword demographic. But in terms of galvanizing social and mobile to their advantage, still up in the air. And to be honest, the, the losers in all of this are the Canadian people. But perhaps most importantly is our Canadian athletes who will only get to be seen every four years in the case of the summer and obviously in six months uh, for our winter athletes. And so they're truly the ones who get, you know, the short end of the stick because of the lack of promotion and digital connectivity, connecting the Canadians who want to watch these things 
when you've got a highly competitive series, there's so many things to watch, whether it's, you know, Ted Lasso or Netflix show, or there's so many different things to watch and, and consume our attention. And in this highly competitive space, the onus is on the marketers uh, to really reach out and figure out a way to connect the consumer uh, and make it as transparent as humanly possible. So you mentioned the numbers, the TV numbers that are, well, early on anyway, we'll see what happens as this goes along, but suffering right now, north and south of the border. Um, we know that TV ratings mean that sponsors don't get the bang for their buck that they want. Long term, if if this continues, and, and let's let's hope and cross our fingers and touch wood that, you know, when, when Canada and other places start winning a few medals and the excitement builds that those numbers will go back up. But let's say this continues because of the time difference in people with COVID fatigue or whatever, or whoever. Let's say this continues. Is there a long-term risk to the Olympic brand? Or do you look at this and say, it, look, it was just Tokyo. It was just the circumstance. We're back to normal next time. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, for the International Olympic Committee, they're definitely going to be playing up that that part that, you know, this is the one off. Don't worry. It's all good. We'll make good on, on, on all of our efforts going forward. But you have to look at this in totality. And when you start to see major Olympic sponsors like an Airbnb and Alibaba and Intel, there is a reason why these newer uh, proper, excuse me, newer brands wanted to jump in on the Olympic vehicle, which is the ability to expose themselves to mass audiences, global audiences, and really eke out a competitive advantage in highly competitive spaces. You know, for an Airbnb, for example, Scott, you know, this was supposed to be their coming out party that you could, you know, typically for an Olympic year, it's so hard to get a hotel room. You know, they all get booked up. Airbnb is the perfect partner for the Olympic Games. Come to a city like a Tokyo, a Paris, an L.A., and don't worry about finding a hotel room. You can get an Airbnb space. Well, now that you can't let fans into, now that foreign spectators are not allowed uh, to travel into the country to watch the game, there's literally zero proposition for Airbnb. And so when, they, when, when a brand like that spends hundreds of millions of dollars to associate with the Olympic property and then to have to activate with commercials and promotions, you know, once the agreement is up, it's sort of like when, when you're doing the, the autopsy and looking over the past few years, you're going, well, you know what? We didn't get the bang for the buck that we wanted. And so absolutely, it's going to be super tough for some of these brands to come back from this. For other brands like Toyota, I, have to, I had the pleasure of being in Tokyo in 2019, just before COVID hit. And Toyota had been activating their sponsorship well in advance discussing their robots and mobility options and, and various different things of that, of that caliber. But, you know, to, to, to specifically answer your question, I think, you know, again, the Olympics may remain this Teflon Don. We'll start to see different partners want to jump in. We've already seen a lot more Chinese brands jumping in with uh, European football and, 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 and uh, soccer for, for us here in North America. Uh, you know, the Alibabas, the, the TikToks, the, um, you know, the high senses of the world. We may see more of that in the future, uh, more Middle Eastern brands, uh, whether it's, a, you know, a Saudi Aramco, uh, you know, some, some Middle Eastern airlines. We might see some or non-traditional players jump into the Olympic space in the future just because the price might be right. But ultimately, at the end of the day, as sport becomes more competitive a space and there are more brands jumping in, It'll become tougher for a property like the Olympic Games to say, you know what, we are the preeminent, dominant form of sport around the world. 
because again, some of their property, uh, some of their disciplines, excuse me, are starting to decline and the viewership unfortunately may not be uh, there uh, as they claim to be. So again, I, I think over time it may stay up there, but it may not be the best thing in the world. And certainly they may not be able to recoup the dollars that they were thinking in the long run. Dr. Michael Lorraine, Brock University Sport Management Program. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Always a pleasure, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.